0: How y'all doing? I'm Michael. I'm joined by Alex as always. How's it going? And we're here with a new episode of Falling Through Plot Holes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. Alex, how are you feeling today?
1: I'm feeling good. Feeling pretty good.
0: Good, 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 good. I'm on my third cup of coffee. I have a bunch of notes open in front of me. I'm ready to talk about uh ready ready to talk about some a very, very silly plot line today. So I'm um, I'm excited. Yeah, you should be, because this is a um the game series we're going to be talking about today is one that is incredibly, incredibly influential, and it's also relatively new in the grand scheme of things, at least with series that we talk about, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff that we talk about usually is from the 80s and 90s and how they've kind of gotten a little bit crazy as the years have gone on. But this one, solidly from the 2000s, which, uh, hmm. yeah, and something that's actually still rather prescient today. But before we get started, got a question for you. Uh-huh.
1: How do you feel about guns? Uh, that's a loaded question. Ah, ah, ah
0: yeah. Ah. I I guess we kind of have to. This this is one of those episodes that I got done writing it, and then literally two mass shootings happened. Mm. So not Good. <laughs> yeah. So I would not be surprised if your answer to this was not particularly favorable. But
1: yeah, uh, cool in theory.
0: Yeah. Very cool in theory, but, um, yeah, that's kind of where I stand on it, too. I'm from Texas, so, ah. and I come from a military family uh, and also a very conservative family. I, I myself am not, but mm-hmm. uh, that does not mean that I am not, a, for instance, a gun owner myself, albeit one who does believe in strict gun control laws. Uh, but and needless to say, I like cool guns. I like, sure. I like putting cool things on cool guns. Yeah,
1: no, and, I, I get it. And uh, when
0: playing like a first-person shooter, Alex, do you prefer your weapons to be like kind of like future guns, or like like weird and wacky, or like something that's like realistic, tactically appropriate, if you will?
1: I generally turn tend to lean towards weird, futuristic.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. More of um, yeah, more like the Destiny guns sort of situation or yeah. like Unreal tournament. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's legit. I, I kinda go back and forth on that. Mm. Um like I definitely appreciate some of the cool guns in Destiny, for instance, but uh mm. I, I won't lie, like whenever I play like Fallout, like Fallout Three or Four or whatnot, and I can mod it, I always get like the giant gun packs. So it's like, yeah, here's uh. this incredibly realistic M14 <laughs> with appropriate sounds, and it and it's like it's the dumbest thing. You don't you don't need like a hundred different guns in that game, but it's like, hey man, look at this. It's this really esoteric version of the moza nagat that's cool right
1: <laughs> it, it definitely like depends on the aesthetic i think absolutely absolutely like a, modern military is definitely a valid aesthetic for a game
0: indeed indeed and speaking of that
1: alex i, I think it's safe mm-hmm. to
0: say as americans we have a fascination with the military and gun
1: culture just in general i would say that's fair to say yeah yeah and I, I
0: want to mention that I don't think is that like, necessarily every American thinks the military and guns are A-OK and can do no wrong. Right. But I think it isn't inaccurate to say that for a good couple of decades, the average American didn't really bat an eye to the increasing presence of guns and militarization in our media. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. Now, this is obviously not a new thing to point out. People have pointed, no. Right. Not at all. But people have pointed out that certain things like Michael Bay's Transformers movie franchise <laughs> – leans very hard into portraying a cool and realistic military and militaristic culture, even if it's a movie about space alien robots that transform into cars.
1: Is that what those movies are about?
0: Supposedly. I don't know. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's either that or racist robots. I'm not really sure.
1: Yeah. This kind of goes back and forth.
0: Yeah, you know. And it's only until recently, though, that we've like a larger segment of the population has been like, "Huh, it's kind of weird we have military jets do a flyover before a college football game."
1: Little bit, yeah. That's that's kind of a lot.
0: Yeah, like it's that's stuff like that is finally starting to enter like more of like a wider mainstream consciousness of being like, okay, maybe we need to examine why we're <laughs> right. uh, so into this.
1: Now, there's, which is not to say anything against fighter jets, by the way. Fighter the, jets the, are cool. Yes. As aerodynamic machines, fighter jets rule.
0: hmm Oh, yes, yes. There is a reason why Robotech is my second favorite anime of all time. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's fair. Because fighter jets are cool. But there's, a, there's quite a few reasons why we seem to have this fascination, why we really didn't pay attention to all this. And I'm going to make this way too simple, but you know, mm-hmm. we're just going to just kind of do this for time and whatnot. Yeah,
1: we'll roll with it.
0: Yeah, so number one... Since the early 20th century, the United States has taken pride in the idea of having a powerful, capable military that, when combined with a mostly successful track record and wars that have a tendency to take place far away from the U.S. proper, Mm -hmm. uh, makes it easy to be enamored with the idea of war and guns and explosions. We've never really been occupied, or at least not since 1812, or you could argue the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two, this has led to plenty of media that plays up the virtues and heroism of the armed forces seemingly no matter the conflict. Whether it's the copious amounts of movies about World War II, the Gulf War, or even bizarrely, the Vietnam War (laughs) – thanks, John Wayne – and that leads us to number three. The government and U.S. military are more than happy to help play this up and provide support so long as media companies play along and portray them in a positive light, up to not only using military equipment as literal props, but even outright paying them in case of the – National Football League, which, uh, <laughs> if you ever wondered why they do weird salute your service stuff and whatnot, the DOD right. literally paid the NFL. Ah. <laughs> yeah. And this finally leads us to number four, and why we have such a malaise about this. The fact that up until recently, we are embroiled in an over 20-year-long series of wars that at first were inspired by patriotic fervor, then horror and condemnation, followed by apathy and acceptance of war and an everyday fact of life in the most banal sort of way, made sure that these ideas never quite left our head. Once again, gross oversimplification of a literally a 20-year mindset right. that has pervaded American society and has affected every aspect of it. Right. But I think it gets the point across.
1: Yeah, as, as the Cliff Notes version— That's that's sort of what we're dealing with here.
0: Yes. And there's no video game genre, Alex, that's more affected by this than the first-person shooter. And for nearly two decades, let's say from between 1997 to 2017, the first-person shooter genre was dominated by an increasing attention on realism, whether that was accurate weapons, tactics, and vehicles, but even all the way down to correct military dress and lingo. It didn't really matter the era the game took place, Utmost attention was going to be paid to every detail, lest you lose out to another series that took it even greater care. Uh, that is, unless you're like the Operation Flashpoint and ARMA people, in which case you took it too far and are crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I secretly love ARMA. Those, those they're, they're the nicest weirdos. They're, they're pretty benign. We'll go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. But Alex, there's one series that did it all had the realism, the bombast, and was more than willing to trade on current events for narrative
1: purposes. Mm Mm-hmm. Alex? Gee, I wonder which series you could be talking about. Boy,
0: I wonder how I could be talking about maybe a series called Call of Duty, Modern
2: Warfare.
1: Maybe. Alex, how uh, how do you feel about uh, good old Call of Duty? Uh, Ooh, boy, that is a complicated question. Ain't it, though? Um, So I played the first... Call of Duty, and was very impressed by what was admittedly a lot of scripted set pieces. Yes. Sort of scripted set pieces with a scale and intensity that no one had done before, particularly in a World War II shooter. hmm yeah. And I thought, at least for the first few levels, when they really amped it up of each campaign, uh, it was very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, The expansion pack to that game, Allied... Front Forces, Allied Front, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was also very good. It did a lot of interesting things. Um, Call of Duty 2 was pretty good. Uh, it doesn't really stand out in my mind. Mm. Um, and so the, the first two Call of Duties were this interesting sort of animal where Infinity Ward, who was developing them, Yes. Went really hard into like the intensity and just chaos of war. Oh, yeah. Sort of trying to portray that as best they could. And I think they accomplished that really well. Oh, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Also, one of their selling points was that there were a lot of allied soldiers around you. So rather than just being one man against the entire Nazi army, all a Medal of Honor, you sort of felt like you were in an active battlefield.
0: You were kind of a nothing person in many ways. Yeah. Like, just an average infantryman that also somehow killed 50 Nazis at once, but...
1: Yeah. Um, so, I thought they did that well. The problem all World War II shooters sort of fall into is it's really hard to make a narrative that's interesting or compelling mm-hmm. around a single soldier in World War II. Yeah. Um, so, then they made Modern Warfare, and man... Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare was awesome. Yes, it is. That game is so good and so cool.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: it's Call of Duty 4 is the first game I played in the Call of Duty series. And yeah. I only played it because my video card burned out and I had to get a replacement. Mm. And they sent me a replacement. And it just came with a free copy and went, eh, fine. Now let's just throw it in here and okay. see what it's like. It's like,
1: oh, shit. That's a good deal. Yeah. That's a really good deal. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that game is awesome. And um, probably has the best narrative of any Call of Duty I've played, which at this point is, so Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2, the first two Black Ops, and I think that's about it. Mm. Honestly, after Modern Warfare 2, I sort of fell off, except for, like, passing curiosity from time to time. Oh, what Call of Duty Ghost didn't like? Yeah, didn't grab you. Yeah, not not so much. The the game where the United States of America gets occupied by just all of South America. Yeah, kind of weird. Thought that was a weird premise. <laughs> a little uh, little self-aggrandizing.
0: Just a little bit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> also, are 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 we gonna go over Ghost?
0: No, so we're gonna be concentrating mostly just on modern warfare today. We're one okay. day going to cover the rest of Call of Duty because yes, oh my yeah. god, does it get stupid?
1: But Yeah, okay, that's fair. Then I then I'll go ahead and say, yeah, the idea that we got occupied by what appears to be a continent of guerrilla forces when we literally have an orbital defense laser system. Yeah that but... just obliterates people. Yeah, but they, they took it from us and now it's up to two brothers.
0: And, yeah, and a van. To...
1: How, why did we let them do that
0: <laughs> uh, i feel like
1: we shouldn't have done that
0: there's a reason why that game has like a 60 percent on metacritic uh, but
1: go, ghost is dumb
0: ghost is dumb but yeah so you have like a pretty similar trajectory uh for call of duty like i do where it's like call of duty 4 is great yes. uh, and then you played a few others and you're like okay cool Mm-hmm. And then you just stop thinking about it after that, and you're like, wait, these games are still popular? They're releasing these every year? Oh,
1: okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's... It's, it's basically the only thing Activision was doing, aside from Blizzard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my, favorite, my favorite anecdote about uh, Activision Call of Duty is that at one point they decided... You know, we should, we should go back to diversifying our portfolio. Hey, we own Crash Bandicoot and Spyro the Dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, should, we, we should do something with those. And so they got, what was it, Toys for Bob? Toys for Bob, yeah. To uh, completely remake the first three Crash games and then the first three Spyro games in critically and commercially just lauded and beloved Remake collections, mm. and then make a new Crash Bandicoot that was equally amazingly received. And they said, "Well, good work. Go make Call of Duty now." You're
0: now a Call of Duty support studio. Yeah, put a, put a little bit of a pin in that because we're actually going to be talking about the albatross that is Call of Duty around Activision's neck.
1: Great, good. <laughs> I'm I'm very excited.
0: So yeah, uh, as if. If the viewer or listener could not tell, Call of Duty might be one of the most consistently successful first-person shooter franchises to ever exist. Mm -hmm. And starting in 2003 with the original Call of Duty, they took a year off before releasing the sequel, Call of Duty 2 in 2005. And then from then until 2020, every year, a new game would be released. And not just a small expansion or port or whatever. A full-fledged AAA title would find its way onto store shelves. Usually by the first week of November, and it by itself would be a massive event. One that, admittedly, as years went on and games got a little weaker, became less and less so.
1: But Mike, how does one studio make a new game every year? Funny
0: that literally the next sentence says, to power this franchise and achieve this honestly ridiculous (laughs) release schedule. Activision, the publisher and parent company, has three separate studios working on a rotating basis. Not to mention, are they sh- all equally good? No, funny enough. <laughs> not to b- these three studios are, of course, Infinity Ward, the original makers, Sledgehammer Games, and Treyarch, which I think technically no longer exist but <laughs> probably not. I think they got officially absorbed, but they still, like, they still making Call of Duty games. Uh, all three of those would be rotated through, and not to mention they would be, uh, have assistance from multiple support studios, such as Raven Software and Binox, all dedicated to getting out a new game every year. For Activision, this might seem like they're oversaturating the market, but in reality, this has been a valuable, if albeit increasingly necessary, strategy. In 2021, for instance, ABK, or Activision Blizzard King as they're also known, reported $8.8 billion in revenue over the year. It's thought that Call of Duty accounted for about 35 to 40% of that. Um, And it should be... It's just too big. It's just too big, yes. Now, before Call of Duty became this incredible juggernaut, increasingly heavy anchor around Activision's neck, it wasn't a series about modern conflicts pulling from real-life examples such as the war in Afghanistan. Rather, it was just like nearly other first-person shooter around this time. It was a copy of Medal of Honor and set in World War II. We're not going to get into too much about this time of like shooters on home consoles based on like World War II, uh, but just to give like a little short notes. Uh, partially due to the overwhelming success of 1999's Medal of Honor, but also because World War II was the last war where the USA was unquestionably the good guys, a lot of video game companies wanted to make games based in World War II. Now, the first Call of Duty was certainly influenced by Medal of Honor in no small, small part because many members of the fandy Ward had worked on the series before. But the second game really ended up establishing called the Call of Duty formula, which is to say there's a lot of very cinematic and chaotic and messy battles that really make it seem like you're just one guy with a gun, barely making a difference. On top of that, they had a, just an incredible level of detail to the weapons, military lingo, how things were presented, In these games that also set it apart from Medal of Honor, a game that also like traded on realism, but more Hollywood realism as opposed to Call of Duty's kind of realism realism, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it should be noted that while Call of Duty is going to be the ones who are going to really solidify and set the standard that everyone else is going to follow. Oddly enough, Medal of Honor is going to try to ape off Call of Duty's attempt at realism as well later on down the line.
1: Oh Yeah, that went super well.
0: Oh, it went great. Uh, Call of Duty's not the first to do that. You can really trace the origins of this, like, increasing focus on realism as well as, like, just uh, general militism in video games all the way back to, oddly enough, a mod, a mod for the game Half-Life called Counter-Strike hmm. that in and of itself had a heavy focus on realistic guns, how making sure down to, like, they sounded realistic, um being able to quickly take down your opponents and whatnot. Uh, it was such a popular mod that it eventually became its own game entirely and is still played to this day. Mm-hmm. Now, for these games, they did incredibly well for Activision, but by the time Call of Duty 3 came out in, 20, in 2006, the World War II genre had become kind of rote. On top of that, Infinity Ward, the main studio behind Call of Duty, was just sort of tired of the genre itself and not finding much inspiration. So instead they looked towards what was what goes to a modern conflict and decided to make a game about that, leading us to Call of Duty for colon modern warfare. Alex, modern warfare is going to be the turn that is not only gonna change Call of Duty from a successful franchise to an all-encompassing juggernaut. That takes five or so fully staffed studios to maintain. Uh But it's also going to have a cultural cachet that videos and images from this game are going to be regularly mistaken for real footage on news (laughs) (laughs) broadcasts.
1: Ah, yes.
0: In a way that's going to become increasingly hilarious and also increasingly dire as time goes on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, And I mean that not only because, ha-ha, this news news program accidentally used the C-130 footage from Call of Duty 4. Mm Mm-hmm but also literally like Russia today will use it as propaganda.
1: Yeah. It's great. It's easy. Yeah, it's a problem, especially because if you actually stop to think about it, the world of Call of Duty is never a world you actually want to live in. No. It's always kind of really bad. It always kind of is. So many nukes go off in
0: modern warfare. There's it's... a
1: lot of nukes.
0: Oh, Yeah. Oof. <laughs> But yeah, it ended up it ended up I like, grew up ending the first person shooter genre in a couple of different ways, not only because of how successful this uh, single player is gonna be, but also because of the multiplayer as well.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: This is outside of the scope since we talk about mostly the plot lines of these games, but it would be kind of um Kind of criminal, not to mention that the multiplayer of Call of Duty Modern Warfare is going to not only influence uh, how first-person shooter multiplayer is going to go mm-hmm. uh, for the genre for pretty much up until, let's say, PUBG, Player unknown Battlegrounds, mm-hmm. and, and Fortnite. Right. But also because of just how much of a moneymaker it's going to be for Activision in general. Uh, yep. th- there's quite a bit of anecdotal evidence out there about how many people... Would like just post online how they just buy the game for the multiplayer uh, to the point that eventually they separated the multiplayer out to a separate to a separate download if you buy it on PC and eventually on consoles as well mm-hmm. uh, and once um, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 came out, they just said, "What if we just didn't do a single player
1: <laughs> What if there wasn't one? <laughs> yeah,
0: what if we just didn't bother with that so yeah, needless to say it it just changed the um, it changed the genre and really the video game industry as a whole uh, mm. when it came out in two thousand and seven. Now, from there, we're, Modern Warfare is only going to have three games in the series unless you count the really strange Nintendo DS spin off games. Ah, uh, yeah, of which there are three, and they are <laughs> surprisingly impressive. Yeah. <laughs> But that isn't to say that call of duty obviously is going to end here this is going to be a little bit outside of the scope and i promise one day we're going to jump into the story of like black ops and ghost and advanced mm-hmm. warfare and whatnot but the point i'm going to try to make with all this is that modern warfare is going to cast a shadow on the rest of call of duty in a way that only black ops is going to be able to escape and even then yeah. not completely yeah god black ops is so wild Black Ops is incredibly good. A lot of people will say that the Call of Duty Black Ops subseries is maybe the best that Call of Duty's ever been. Mm. Uh, but if you want to get an idea of just how influential Modern Warfare is and how, how much of an influence it just had on itself, uh, there's a reason why games in the series are called Advanced Warfare. Right. Or Infinite Warfare.
1: Right. Despite well, what... ostensibly having nothing to do with Modern Warfare exactly
0: or as they're now what they're doing now that's in, in an attempt to revitalize the franchise by creating and this is where things get confusing call of duty modern warfare the reboot to call of duty modern warfare <laughs>
1: yeah but that really Wait, should... Go ahead. they they did that already right yeah okay yeah in 2019 okay i wanted to make sure they weren't doing it again
0: I mean, they are currently in active development of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2.
1: Okay, that's that's fine.
0: Yeah, but that should just go into just to show you just how influential the series is, that when Activision made the decision to reboot the franchise, they didn't call it Call of Duty. They called it right. Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Now, we're not going to get too deep into the development of Call of Duty, but we are going to highlight the part where they did want to focus on real-life conflicts, and they did directly reference the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. It's very interesting reading some developer commentary from around this time, mostly because while the story is going to start out with a focus on the Middle East, they're going to very quickly shift away from that and move to everyone's favorite Cold War boogeyman, Russia, Mm -hmm. uh, as the main antagonist in the series. Uh, And in large part, it's because... They kind of had difficulty figuring out how to make a compelling narrative argument uh for the United States invades a Middle Eastern country and make them actually a threat.
1: Yeah, funny that.
0: Yeah, funny that, right? Which uh one could say that maybe you should just not have done that at all, but mm-hmm. just sort of uh just sort of ended up working out that way, I guess. Right. So, yeah, they do talk about how, like, they started out with this focus on just focusing on the Middle Eastern conflict, and it felt like, okay, well, this asymmetrical sort of warfare that's going on here, fighting just, like, essentially militia forces and regular civilians, mm-hmm. just didn't quite sit right. And so, eventually, they shifted the focus to Russia, as we'll see uh, going on when we talk about the actual plot of modern warfare. There's just sort of a sudden shift to Russia all of a sudden, and that's the reason right. why.
1: Okay, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: makes sense. Yeah, it, it ended up having a quite an impact on the actual development of the game because apparently the last year of development is when they really focused on doing the Russia angle of the uh, the entire campaign. Mm. And it sort of makes sense because that part does feel weirdly rushed in a way. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's very interesting to see that the, um, this is really the only game that really is going to have a heavy focus on the wars in the Middle East at all. but. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we get past that it's going to be all russia all the time like they really just go full-on red dawn in a way that is yeah. i mean given how given how things are going for russia right now uh mm. it yeah seems kind of hilarious to think but they also are going to actually hit on a few things that are actually going to be pretty pressing for how the current russian government operates mm. which yeah. uh i found kind of interesting when uh, when reading through it the plot so uh, plot synopsis and going back through the cutscenes and whatnot
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But I guess with that, we should probably jump in and talk about Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. Let's do that. All right. So just to do a little bit of setup, uh, Modern Warfare takes place in the far, far future of 2011. (laughs) And it's going to have multiple different perspectives. It's still like a level-based game, but you essentially play as two different protagonists. Uh, One of them is going to be a British Special Air serviceman by the name of Soap. Specifically, John McTavish, but he goes by the na- nickname mm-hmm. of Soap, uh, and you're also going to be playing as a U.S. Marine as well, uh, a, a U.S. Marine by the name of Paul Jackson, Sergeant Paul Jackson, to be specific. Now, as the game sets, uh, sets it up, there is basically trouble in the Middle East as there as there is nominally around this time, and mm-hmm. they're also also going to mention that russia is in the midst of a civil war between the government and ultra nationalist uh the ultra nationalist rebels are led by a man by the name of zakayev and his whole deal is that he basically wants to bring back russia to the glory of the soviet union though not necessarily in a communist sort of way like they don't really get into like what exactly his politics are whether he's like more right wing more left wing or whatnot he just wants to essentially make russia great again uh, right in a way that actually kind of mirrors how russia is acting right now with a lot of the propaganda mm-hmm. a lot of what a lot of their media is saying and the fact that they're bringing out the you know the soviet flag basically everywhere now right uh, kind of uh no they're not communists but boy do do they want to bring back that soviet <laughs> union So the game starts in 2011 with you playing as good old Soap and you're you're at a SAS training facility in the UK where you meet with your entire team, including what is probably the closest thing to a true protagonist the entire Call of Duty series has, Mm. your captain and leader, good old Captain Price. Ah, Captain Price. Captain Price, specifically Captain John Price, is the leader of Bravo Team. Now... He is a man who looks like he is straight out of the Boer War in the 19th century. (laughs) Uh, A blonde man with piercing blue eyes. He has basically the greatest mutton chops that curl all the way down his jaw and just link up with the rest of his beard that is incredibly bushy. Very, very serious man. Very, very gruff. Uh, He is a reoccurring character in the Call of Duty franchise, albeit he's never, like, the same person. Uh, right. Just to give you an example, he was in Call of Duty 2, for instance, as when you played as the British, he would be your commander and whatnot. And he looked exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> and unsurprisingly, he is uh, in the uh, Modern Reboot as well. Uh, you, Although he is basically the main character of this game, you do not play as him other than one mission in this game and one mission in Modern Warfare 3. Right. So he's just going to hang out with you and just be super cool, y'all. So you arrive at this uh, facility and whatnot, and everybody makes fun of you for being named Soap. <laughs> and then you ended up taking, like, a couple of tests and whatnot, and you end up uh, getting uh, picked for the team and whatnot. And then immediately you are just thrown into your first mission, because it turns out that in the Bering Strait, just off of Alaska, there's an Estonian freighter that's carrying some illicit cargo from Russia. And so... You fly in on an incredibly cinematic mission where you're like you're just like in a rainy storm or whatnot, with the seas just like mm. crashing into this freighter or whatnot. The door opens, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, Captain Price is smoking a cigar, and he's just like his face is just lit up with it and whatnot. And they put on their tactical gear and whatnot. Immediately, like fast rope down to the freighter, yell weapons free, and just
1: blast a bunch of Russians. Mm. And it's really cool. It's really cool. Um, also, important to point out once again that you are, as Soap McTavish, you are SAS, yes?
0: Yes, you are SAS.
1: Yeah, so you are not standard military, you are Special Forces and Covert Ops.
0: Yeah, yeah, you are part of probably the most famous Special Forces group in the world. Yeah, uh, yeah so you are you are the best of the best. You are hard-ass, I will murder anybody to get to accomplish what I need to do the glory of england right. level of person
1: yes and like one of the things i think makes modern warfare one work is it's not like shy about how kind of shady that is oh
0: yeah yeah you're gonna be doing a lot of shady things throughout this game or at least you're gonna be viewing captain price doing a lot of shady things well, yeah <laughs> yeah. they don't shy away from it uh, there's a really good uh, review on the escapist um by uh, zero punctuation, where they kind of talk about that. Mm-hmm. They talk about how they do a really good job of portraying like the marines you play as as like jarhead idiots, yeah, and like the SAS as being incredibly shady war crimes doing people.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I-, I will give credit to the game for not shying away from that. Although I also think they do kind of glorify it just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, there's a very big twenty-four level of yes, but the ends justify the means. To right? Us.
1: Yeah. So like you're you're still the heroes of the story. You just you have that moment where you go, "Ooh, are we the good guys?" And Then you say, "Yes." It's like yes, absolutely. We gotta stop this nuke.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you fast rope down. You go through this freighter and whatnot, and eventually you come upon a package and you get the manifest and whatnot. Look at it, and it turns out. Oh, it's a nuclear weapon. That's bad. Hmm. Hmm. And then after that, your, the ship is immediately strafed by MiGs and starts to sink. And in probably the first of many a great action sequence, <laughs> Price grabs you and yells, we are leaving, and you immediately have to escape a flooding freighter, which you yeah. just barely do. And so it's like hell of an opening. Yeah. And it only escalates from there. Now, the one thing I have to give Call of Duty 4 credit for, and I think is one of its lasting influences from the single player, and kind of a ghost that it's going to be forever chasing past this point, is this game has three or four big moments like that throughout the game that are constantly talked about, are constantly mm-hmm. referenced, and are incredibly effective, even to this day. Right. Uh, to the point that with the do attempt to follow up on them, such as No Russian and Modern Warfare 2. Or at the mm-hmm. time, they blow up the International Space Station. Uh, right. It ends up kind of falling flat a little, because it's like, well, I see what you're doing, but you're just trying to right. escalate just to escalate.
1: Yeah, you're just trying to one-up
0: mm-hmm. the last thing. Exactly. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is because the very next mission is one of those moments that mm-hmm. is very, very effective, because we now go to the Middle East where we end up in a random nation. Uh, this synopsis I have says it's the president of Saudi Arabia, which I don't believe is true. I
1: know. It's a fictional nation. It, it is. A, sure.
0: It's a fictional nation, but... Um, it's Middle Eastern. Fix your, fix your synopsis, Call of Duty wiki. I'm calling you <laughs> out on this podcast right now. But the point is is that you are now in the role of a fictional president, yashur al fulani Now... You are in the midst of a revolution, and you have already been captured. You're bound up, you're thrown to a car, and you're driven all along a street as you see very, very excited civilian supporters of this revolutionary by the name of Al-Assad. And you're basically being shown, like, more or less, you're, like, statues being torn down, and, like, basically everybody's celebrating the fact that you have been immediately overthrown. And, you, like, you are able to, like, move your head around and see everything that's going on and all that. But you're not—you otherwise are just at the complete mercy of these rebels. Eventually, you are taken into um, you're just like, a, like an empty arena, essentially. And you are face-to-face with Al-Assad, who then immediately points a gun at you and executes you,
1: ending the mission. It is
0: incredibly
1: effective. It's very effective. It's quite powerful.
0: It is, yeah. And it's— it's, what, it's like the first of what's going to be just a couple more moments like that where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Like when first playing this, I was like, okay, I see why people are saying this game's kind of a big deal.
1: Right. <laughs> and it, it's sort of one of those moments where in retrospect, forcing or even wanting to continue this series is kind of a terrible idea, mm-hmm. artistically speaking. Yeah. Because it's like it was established on so much... Inspirational content that it's like just making another one for the sake of making another one and having to force yourself to come up with more of that. Yeah, it's just not going to hit the same.
0: It's not. Yeah, it's the reason why I think um the big moment from and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. The big moment right. in Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two, the No Russian mission. Mm-hmm. That's why it never is. It's never landed for me. Right. Because it's like kind of the same thing where it's like, oh no, you're going to get executed. But also, what if you murder some civilians? That's cool, right? Right. Yeah, and and that's like not even getting to just the really dumb stuff they do in Modern Warfare Three. Like they, oh yeah, they have to keep doubling down and doubling down, and it loses effectiveness as it goes on because this this is a very simple moment and a very simple setup, and because it's honestly relatively simple, it works. But once again, getting a little ahead of ourselves, right? So. Shortly after this, we go back to our favorite SAS crazies. um, uh, Good old Soap, Captain Price. And I actually did not mention our other team member, uh, a man by the name of Gaz. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you're now in Russia. So it turns out, after finding this shipping manifest and whatnot, you're like, okay, it's clear that the ultra-nationalists are shipping out nuclear weapons, but we don't know why. And so it turns out there's a Russian informant that's with the... um, uh, with the ultra-nationalist who's really a government spy by the name of Nikolai. And he's like, hey, listen, I got some information. You need to come and get me out of here so I can give it to you. Um, or specifically to get out of one of his friends and whatnot, a guy by the name of Kamarov, mm-hmm. uh, who's been captured by the ultra-nationalist. So you fly in there and you go through this mission or whatnot, and, like, during the entire time, Nikolai is like, yes, just help me just, like, do this one thing so I can save my comrades and, like... Like, Captain Price is, like, get like, more and more short with him. He's like, hey, listen, we need to get our guy out. We're not here to fight your war, asshole. Mm-hmm. Until <laughs> so eventually they, like, hold him over, like, a ledge, like, <laughs> we will drop you if you don't tell us where he is. <laughs> and eventually you learn you he had to, like, do, like a, like, a, like a, like a, like a just quick running battle in order to get uh, Nikolai, and you rescue him, uh, which he then, like, kind of informs you of, like, what's kind of going on, which is that, oh, yeah, no, the ultra nationalists are working with Al-Assad and they're supplying with the weapons and, you know, tactical experience for reasons unknown. Mm. So we get cut off there, and now we switch to our second main character, Sergeant Paul Jackson of the U.S. Marines. Uh, This game has kind of a bad thing where it kind of pops between different perspectives, sometimes at random. Yeah. uh, And not necessarily in order either. So try to bear with me on this, but that's just sort of how this game presents it. But it turns out that after al-Assad got executed um, uh, al fulani the United States government got angry, as they <laughs> normally do. Yep. And looking for the loosest pretext of an invasion of the Middle East country, decides they're going to invade and take <laughs> out al-Assad. So a big, massive invasion happens. Uh, you basically take off from a bunch of aircraft carriers and uh, Black Hawk helicopters, fast rope down into this Middle Eastern town, and immediately start searching for al-Assad. Uh, Your team consists, by the way, of Lieutenant Vasquez, Staff Sergeant Griggs, and, of course, yourself, as you go through basically blowing up every possible Middle Eastern militiaman you could possibly find in order to get to a, like, broadcast station where you think Al-Assad is in order to capture him. Uh, Very, very chaotic scenes, and once again, like... They do a really good job of, like, portraying these Marines. as just, like, hoorah, jar- Jarhead, sort of, like, we never retreat. American flag yeah. will never drop and hit the ground, like, sort of people and whatnot.
1: Yep. is very gung-ho bombastic.
0: Very much so. Very much so. And so, eventually, you get to the broadcasting station, but you find that, no, he's just, like, it's been just, like, a pre-recorded message that's, like, on right. loop and whatnot. And it's like, well, where can he be? He has to be in his town somewhere. No. So, no, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Not at all, it turns out. But they don't know that quite yet. So, meanwhile, like the SAS, our fun SAS team members, um, Captain Price and whatnot, are trying to get Nikolai out and whatnot so they can get a full debrief. When unfortunately their he- helicopter ends up getting shot down and they have to, like, try to escape Russia on foot uh, or at least get to another LZ and sort of, so they can get picked up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is where the other incredibly. I think actually this is probably one of the lesser known moments. I think it's kind of been lost, but it's also probably been the one that gets accidentally picked up by the media all the time because the footage Uh, they use is incredibly realistic. uh Uh-huh. So they need cover fire and whatnot. And so uh, an AC-130 Hercules basically is called in a military gunship to circle overhead and essentially provide support fire. Now it's in the middle of the night when this happens. So they're using night vision. And so – if you've ever seen any footage of a building being blown up in Iraq, there's at least being a 50-50 chance they accidentally <laughs> used the footage from Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And I am actually serious about that. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> because it is it is actually very well done um, mm-hmm. in terms of the filters they've thrown over, how the explosions look, how the buildings are leveled, and, and what have you, uh, and because, like, all that footage, like, that when it's actually, you know, being shown, like, actual real footage of, like, um, a C-130 is, like, doing its, right. doing its business. It is very low-res footage and whatnot. So it actually works right. for a game from this era. Like, the, you don't have to put a whole lot of fidelity here to keep
1: yeah, it very really well. really easy to emulate what that actually looks like. Because, yeah, you're right. It, a lot of those sensors are pretty low fidelity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think... I actually want to contest, I think... At the time this came out, it was very, like, it it was very talked about. It was very, like, well-noticed. I think the thing about this segment, which is, I think, very well done, and definitely when I was playing it worked really well, is it is all about presentation. Yeah. Because the actual gameplay is just a rail shooter, which means that it was simultaneously extremely popular and extremely easy to do. Yeah. which meant that everyone did it after that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if the AC-130 segment has been lost to history, it's just because it's drowned under an ocean of them.
0: You know, that's a good point. That's a good point. Like, it's, it, it was, you're, you're quite correct, That was actually talked about quite a bit at the time. Yeah, my, my thought was, yeah, kind of the whole idea of, like, all the other big scenes in this kind of overshadow it. Mm-hmm. When this is probably the one that's... Yeah, it's probably been aped ape the most because of all that. Right. And also mistaken in the media so much that really also, it's, yeah. it's, secret, it's secretly maybe like the most influential scene from the entire <laughs> game. But yeah, that is actually a good point. Yeah, and... So yeah, you end up like helping out um, the SAS uh, team get out, get Bravo team out and whatnot, and they eventually get to another LZ and fly out. So then we come back to our Marine friends. Once again, they keep bouncing between these two different perspectives mm-hmm. so rapidly. Yeah. As you continue to search for Al Assad in this random Middle Eastern city. And this is one where um, you end up uh, escorting a uh, M1A2 Abrams t- battle tank uh, with the call sign Warpig, which I totally forgot <laughs> about that.
1: <laughs> I did too.
0: It's a little on the nose. It's a little on the nose, but it's this is another case of where Call of Duty 4 does a very good job of... Uh, it, it should be noted that they got a lot of assistance from the military as far as how to realistically uh, depict uh, infantry men supporting a tank in an active uh, an active combat zone. Uh-huh. In the sense of, like, uh, not only, like, the proper wording that they're supposed to do, but also the fact that, like... You know, tanks are actually very bad in, in cities. Yeah. yeah. So infantrymen are supposed to go out and flush the enemy out or identify hard points for the tank to hit. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this mission is exactly doing that. Tank will go like, hey, I'm not going to push forward. This is dangerous. You need to go forward and, you know, basically get me targets and, like, flush out, uh, flush, flush out militia, which is exactly Correct. what you do. Uh, then you call in where exactly you need to hit, and, and you just keep going from there. And the entire mission is just that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, eventually, like, you kind of um, – uh, you get through there, you hole up, and uh, you, you get to – you actually, like, pull through the city and eventually just move to the capital city of this random country because you think, okay, Al-Assad's actually gone there. And so after going there and, like, rescuing a recon team, you, Vasquez, your team leader, is informed that Al-Assad actually has a nuclear warhead in area, and you all need to leave now. Yeah. Uh... And you're like, oh, okay, so you all get in helicopters and you start leaving. But unfortunately, your escort members are, like, shot down. And so, in an act of bravery, you all swing back to go and rescue them. Unfortunately, because of that, uh, it turns out Al-Assad is not in the city at all, and he decides to just set off a nuclear weapon, completely destroy that capital city, basically knocking your helicopter down and killing 30,000 U.S. servicemen. Now, what happens after this is probably the most talked about mission in the Mm -hmm. game. And definitely the one that I skip over the most (sighs) whenever I I replay this, which admittedly has been a while, but Uh I definitely know I skipped it over the last time I did. So it's a mission where basically you as Paul Jackson are walking around in a fallout strewn hellscape of a destroyed capital city. As you see your teammates slowly dying from radiation poisoning or just straight up dead as you slowly, slowly get weaker and weaker and eventually succumb to radiation poisoning yourself. It's hard to describe the scene and describe the impact it has, but it is a scene that you see going on. You're like, oh, this is oh, God.
1: Yeah, it's it's very grim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's
0: incredibly, incredibly grim and once again, it is very effective for what it does.
1: Yeah. And it's also like there's no gameplay to it, really. It's just yeah, very visually impactful.
0: Yeah, it's up there with the Alphalani mission, the second mission in the game, where it's like yeah. you don't have any actual gameplay here. This is all observation, and this is just bad things going to happen to you, and there's nothing you could do to it, do, yep. do about it, because that's how war is. Yep. But uh, And yeah, it works. And yeah, with that, all Jackson's dead. You're now done playing as the Marines. Mm -hmm. So it turns out not all of your Marine squad died. Uh, Griggs ended up escaping, and for one reason or another, is now going to team up with your SAS buddies.
1: (laughs) Right? Yeah. That the Marines just randomly link up with the SAS in near Russia.
0: Yeah, they're just like, yeah, let's just hang on out. Let's just do this. Because, you know, well, Griggs wants to just straight up to get revenge, which is right. why he's doing that. But, yeah, it is it is kind of strange that they just do that. But, yeah, they debrief Nikolai, and he tells Captain Price that Al-Assad is actually at a safe house in Azerbaijan. And so they're like, okay, let's go there, and let's, uh, let's go and get him. Let's go get to him and murder the hell out of him. Mm-hmm. So the SAS plus Griggs end up going there, and they, you know, they fight through a bunch of buildings and whatnot, murder a... a bunch of Azerbaijani soldiers and Russian ultra-nationalists. And eventually they kind of uh, get a hold of Al-Assad and corner him in his hut, Uh, run in there, knock him down, tie him up and whatnot. And that's when you see, of course, your... Your fun SAS buddies doing the, doing the war crimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of torture. Time for
1: electro-torture.
0: Yep. Time to, time to strangle him. Time to do all this. But eventually, his cell phone goes off. Al-Assad's cell phone goes off. And so, Gaz hands the cell phone to Price, who answers it. And I just hears a man speaking Russian. And as he hears this, he pulls out his M1911 pistol, points it to Al-Assad, and just executes him. The screen goes black. And Gaz asks... Who was that, sir? And Price just says, Zakayev.
1: So it turns out... I'm, I'm sorry, I just gotta say, that is so fucked up to do, but it's such a great scene. It's a, real, it's a really <laughs> it's good so scene. Great. It's a really good scene. It's just a really good character moment of Price going, Oh,
0: fuck. Yeah, because it's clear they do a really good job of establishing that Price. Yeah, immediately he hears the voice. You see a look Ooh, on his voice. face. He's like, Ah, oh, damn it.
1: So, okay, I, I understand now. I don't need this one anymore.
0: Yeah, I know who's pulling the strings, and I know things have just gone so much messier. hmm So, as you can probably guess, Price and Zakayev have a lot of history. And you're probably wondering, who is Zakayev. Well, Imran Zakayev is the leader of the Russian Ultra-Nationalist Party uh, and is the head of the rebels that are currently at war with the Russian government. And so Price is like, all right, sit down, everybody. I got a story to tell you.
1: (laughs) History time.
0: Mm -hmm. So it turns out in 1996, uh, he was a lieutenant assigned under the command of another captain by the name of McMillan. Now, they were given a mission to assassinate Zakaev in the town of, uh, I always mispronounce this, uh, Pripyat in Ukraine. Now, it turns out that back then, Zakaev was... You're just kind of like your run-of-the-mill Russian arms dealer, kind of taking advantage of the fact the Soviet Union fell to Mm -hmm. basically sell more or less anything and everything on the black market. And so he was tasked alongside McMillan to to basically sneak in to Ukraine and assassinate the hell out of him. This starts what is probably most people call the best mission of the game, all Mm -hmm. ghillied up, where you in ghillie suits basically – giant suits that are like covered in twigs and branches and whatnot uh maximum you know camouflage and whatnot as you slowly slowly play as captain price and sneak through a town as you make your way to a sniping position in order to take him out it's a very very good mission It actually has a very interesting development history in the sense of um they couldn't get the ai to work correctly hmm So one of the developers who's working on the mission just secretly inserted a bunch of AI that basically broke how the scripting worked (laughs) in order to just make this mission work and just kind of hope that nobody would notice.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, and to be fair, it worked. Yeah, no, it it is definitely one of the best missions in the game. It is, yeah, totally. So you eventually
0: get to, like, the sniping position you have to, like, wait for the wind to die down just right so you can hit Sakaev and, like, murder him. Mm Mm-hmm. And I should mention, Zakayev is, like, this bald man with, like, a long Rasputin beard and whatnot. Uh, very, very distinct-looking guy. Mm-hmm. So, eventually, you get the shot, and you take it, and you just blow his arm off. And then, naturally, everyone's like, oh, this is... Like, they get him, in like, in a car, and they drive off. But he's, like, mm-hmm. he's presumed dead at this point. Right. And they immediately have to, like, this, the SAS team... Uh, with Captain Price, immediately has to, like, leave. And, like, there's just, like, a huge running battle. You have a giant battle with like, uh, with these arms dealer goons and whatnot as you wait for your chopper to come down and pick you up. Excellent mission. Yeah. But Price is basically like, yeah, we kind of presumed he was dead, but I uh, guess not. Guess he just lost an arm.
1: I'm sorry, intelligence didn't follow up on that in the last 15 years?
0: I think they did, and they, like, determined that he was still alive, but they were like, well, he's... Pretty much maimed now. He's probably not going to be able to do much. And then,
1: well, yeah, you know, you take out a guy's arm, that basically renders him useless.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, not exactly. Um, not not exactly the best best move by British intelligence. Yeah. So yeah, that of course leads to the modern days. K of you know, ends up uh, starting the civil war and whatnot, and. So now it's like, okay, well, we need to take this guy out. He helped, he helped deliver a nuclear weapon to, uh, to extremists. He's probably going to do that again. Mm-hmm. So let's go murder him. We need to find out where he is. We need to track down his son. So you end up tracking down his son, uh, Victor Zakayev, and end up having like, a running battle uh, to, to capture him and whatnot that uh, unfortunately does not, uh, does not end well. In the sense of, mm-hmm. you definitely quarter him, and then he definitely he shoots himself to evade capture. And you're like, ah, yeah. damn it. Now, this ends up causing some serious issues, mostly because the of just uh, the elder, loses his shit. Mm-hmm. And he decides to take his forces and take control of an ICBM facility in the Adelaide Mountains. And he's like, I'm just going to launch nukes to the U.S.
1: <laughs>
0: have fun with that.
1: Which S- is like, okay, I mean, yeah, if you can.
0: Yeah, have fun with that. So, because of that, the SAS has to go in to stop them. And in a joint British-American operation, they end up landing in the Adelaide Mountains and fight their way through a heavy-pitched battle in order to get there, and gets as a Zacchaeus. Now, they eventually, like, they have to, like, rescue their, their pal Griggs and whatnot because he goes uh, off course during a halo jump, a high-altitude, mm-hmm. low-opening jump. Uh, but eventually, they, they get in there, they but only to see two nuclear missiles get launched toward the U.S. Uh, I think one towards Los Angeles, the other towards New York. Basically enough that they like, go like, oh, man, like over 40 million people are going to die if we don't stop this. So they get inside the bunker and whatnot, uh, the missile silo, uh, uh, and eventually uh, get to like, the controls and whatnot, and are able to get the, like, the abort codes and like, get them entered. Uh, doing that destroys the missiles in flight, but unfortunately, they now have to escape a bunch of very angry ultra-nationalists. Mm. Uh, kind of a running theme in this game to, like, we yeah. did think, oh god, we need to run.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of, okay, the the pe- the people we stopped are mad that we stopped them. Mm-hmm. And they have more guns than we do.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, what happens is that you all end up commandeering a truck, and in end up driving away on a highway f- away from a very very angry hind attack helicopter uh you actually have like infinite amount of like rpg like missile launcher ammo and whatnot
2: mm-hmm.
0: but the hind is like programmed to always avoid them which is very annoying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and like it looks like you're about to escape but unfortunately you end up getting to this bridge that's blown out and you're like oh well that's bad your truck gets blown up and like you, as uh, Soap, are, like, on the ground, like, really, really groggy. Like, Price is, like, wo- heavily wounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you watch as Zakayev shows up, executes Gr- uh, Griggs. Gas like, tries to get up to fight him and gets shot as well. But then, hey, it's your buddy Nikolai and, like, the Russian government forces. They show up and start, like, shooting people and whatnot. And, like, that distracts uh, Zakayev just long enough for um, Price to, like, uh slide his like pistol over to you which you then use to immediately execute zakaev killing him now you basically start to pass out just long enough to see um price go into cardiac arrest nikolai and his troops are like trying to revive him of a cpr or whatnot and you just basically fade to black you then learn that first off this all took place over a six day period by the way <laughs> guess i should throw that one out yeah sure <laughs> And you find out that basically the government, uh, the U.S. government has covered everything up. Uh, uh, You learn that, hey, all those uh, nuclear missiles being launched. Oh, those were just tests that the Russian government were pulling off. And uh, that ship that sunk off the Bering Strait. Oh, well, you know, we've called that off. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Everything is fine. Everything is fine. That that went off. Ah!
1: Don't don't worry about that. That was that happened. Yeah, don't worry about that.
0: And so it's kind of like a nice and tidy ending that, um, Mm -hmm. as we're going to see in Modern Warfare 2 and Modern Warfare 3, is going to get completely upended. Yep. In a way that's going to be kind of silly.
1: (laughs) A little bit. We got to make sequels. Let's go.
0: Yeah, I I hope you're happy for Red Dawn 2. No, really, Russia can not totally take on the entire (sighs) world at the same time. It's so
1: stupid. (laughs) But that's going to be for next time. Alex, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Like I said, I really like Modern Warfare. It's yeah. a really good game.
0: Yeah, it's it's an incredibly incredibly strong start to you know a a trilogy of games that uh, is only going to get sillier and sillier here from after once again they do their best to just double down on the high octane impactful events and whatnot, mm-hmm. but and just can't quite you know really. Really aren't going to stick the landing in a way that I think they really, really want to, but yeah, uh, in in ways that I think are going to really influence the way that they go about like stuff like Black Ops and whatnot. Uh, but that's of course uh, something we'll get into once we actually talk about those games. But yeah, uh, like a lot, like a lot of first episodes of multi-part series we do here, we start out with the really good
1: one, <laughs> yeah, and then we go, oh no, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, you've you got to have the good one to convince it to be a franchise. Mm-hmm. If the first one is bad, you're just going to bail on that. <laughs> but, but then you gotta, then you got to continue, and that's where you have problems.
2: Yeah, that's
0: a good point. I mean, there's a reason why, despite Call of Duty Ghosts having definite sequel hooks, uh, they did not have sequels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Alex, do you have any final thoughts for us today?
1: Modern Warfare was also the first time that I learned how javelin shoulder-mounted rockets work, and those are cool, and uh, frighteningly cool.
0: Oh, yes, yes, um, St. Javelin, yes. Um, yeah, that's one of those things where, like, you see how they work in Call Duty 4 and you're like, that's, that's not how a missile should fly, right? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. That's not how—those aren't real. You made those up for this game. And then you see how the war in Ukraine is going on. And, uh-huh. and how... God, you're like, oh, damn. Oh, yeah. No, it turns out javelins are uh, scary, scary things. Yep. Yeah. And that's kind of like a really amazing thing about this game. Like, and I, mm-hmm. I mean, amazing in all senses of the word. Not only like amazing, like, oh, that's cool, but amazing also, like, oh, that's scary with how just right. like hooked into like military technology and military industrial complex right. that they were right. with this.
1: Oh, man. We have gotten very advanced in killing each other and blowing each other up
0: yeah and this game is more than willing to show that off and show how cool they are and like advocate like oh yeah no maybe weapon systems are cool maybe yeah. uavs are awesome maybe uh how like how you basically street sweep with a with a abrams tank is uh, how javelins are really really rad uh, aren't optics cool shouldn't everything have optics optics are kind of cool though optics are kind of cool it's actually really funny when they like eventually go back to uh, world war ii uh, oh yeah and then but they go like but the guns there aren't as cool what if everything had red dot sights
1: yeah sure that makes sense
0: and it's like oh you
1: idiots <laughs> well, i think the worst one is not even call of duty it was battlefield one where they're like we're gonna do world war one and it's like <laughs> and everything's an automatic weapon aren't all the weapons in world war one really boring and hard to use Mm. and they're like yeah but nah it's
0: like they're like listen the thompson machine gun technically existed in world war one
1: that means we can make it have an effective range of 300 meters
0: yeah it's fine it's fine right oh god i forgot all about that (laughs) uh yeah so join us next week everybody as we uh we talk about how the russian government totally is super competent y'all even after a civil war wrecks their country as they, somehow take, as they somehow take on the entire world and we see the ramifications of what happens in Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare and take a look at their sequels, Modern, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. But that's going to do it for us today. If you like episodes like this, you should check out more at ftp.podbean.com or for falling through plot holes on your podcast service of choice. Remember to make, leave us a review and whatnot. It's very helpful. Definitely like to hear feedback from everybody, but until uh, next time, take care, everybody.